evening, everyone. Good to be with you this evening. Our sermon text comes from Psalm chapter 11, the whole chapter, seven verses. Psalm 11. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. But the foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. This is the word of the living God. And we say, thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for this, your day, when we can gather, hear from you, to congregate, to sing of your grace, to look forward to, to look forward to heaven, to look forward to seeing Christ face to face. And I pray this evening that you will use this text, this psalm. These words of David to help us persevere until that last day where we do indeed see him face to face. In his name we pray. Amen. I don't often um, don't often consider the titles that that are listed here in our Bibles, um, but in Psalm 11, I think it's useful. In the New King James, at least in my Bible, it says, Faith in the Lord's Righteousness. That's how they've titled the chapter, Faith in the Lord's Righteousness. There's nothing explicit about faith in this chapter, but there is trust. Neither is there anything explicitly about hope. But hope, again, is related to trust. I'm going to read some words from the Apostle Paul. This is from Romans, just to get our minds going. David puts his trust in the Lord over and against the advice of bad counselors in this psalm. And in Romans 8, we read about hope. Hope in the Lord is something that's fixed. It's not like I hope that the team that I root for wins the game. This is a different sort of hope. It's a fixed hope. It's a certain hope. So David, as this title of the chapter suggests, he has faith in the Lord's righteousness. We could say he has trust in the Lord's righteousness. He has hope in the Lord's righteousness. He does not hope in other things. He does not 
trust in other things. This is similar to Paul, who speaks of hope. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverances. He speaks about saving hope. We are saved in this hope. And he says that hope that is seen is not hope. If you can see it, it is not faith. It's not trust. It's something altogether different. I'm going to come back to Romans 8 towards the end. Let's begin by looking at Psalm 11 with this idea in mind. When you think of hope, when you think of trust, what comes to mind? Think about what it means to trust in someone. Who has your trust? Who has your faith? In our text this evening, we see this idea of trust and the difference it can make in one's life. David is the psalmist, and David says outright at the beginning, In the Lord I put my trust. And then David speaks back to his advisors. You have to look closely with your Bibles with me this evening. Because there's some subtle things going on, I think. We don't know who these advisors are. Perhaps they were on David's side. Perhaps they are David's enemies. But this is the counsel they offer. And we see it inside of the quotation marks. If you look closely in verse 1, the quotation marks are on either side of flee as a bird to your mountain. That's their advice. And David pushes back. He rejects this advice. He will not flee to the mountain. Okay? That's all we know so far. Now, it is likely that the basis of this psalm is sometime David is on the run from Saul, but commentators disagree. Perhaps it was when he was on the run from his son, Absalom. Either way, I don't think it makes a real difference. David is being hunted, and that's the, that's the point. And the advice, though, is not necessarily bad advice. Flee, David. They are coming after you. Well, that might be good advice. It's not always bad to escape danger, because escaping danger is not always wrong. It's often good and right. Think of Paul in the book of Acts. Paul is preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Many did not like the message Paul preached. Many were converted. But many persecuted him. We read in Acts 9. Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now that's all good. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. What does Paul do? Well, the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Paul escaped the Jews. Christian disciples let him down through the wall in a basket, and this would not be the only time Paul escapes or runs away from persecution. And because he escaped, Paul was able to go on and start many churches. He was able to write many letters to spread the gospel into lands that had not yet heard. Escaping was good. It's good to flee. Except when it's not. It's also good not to flee. Later in the book of Acts, Paul does not seek to flee persecution. Instead, he walks right into it. The Holy Spirit testifies to Paul that troubles awaited him. And then even more than that, the disciples came in a few different cities and a few different occasions. And they tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They confirm what the Holy Spirit was telling him. 
Acts 21. A certain prophet named Agabus comes down from Judea. This gets really specific. When he had come, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when he heard these things, both we, this is Luke, and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. So before the disciples let Paul down the city walls in a basket, they said, escape, escape, escape. This time, they're warning him, do not go to Jerusalem. Paul's response this time, he disagrees. His answer, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, he seized and said, the will of the Lord be done. So note Paul's response. This time he walks right into it. He ends up going to Jerusalem. He ends up getting bound, imprisoned, and then later sent to Rome. And later he's killed. He's killed for his faith. And he knew it. And he's speaking to his churches, he knows when he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, this is going to be the last time I see you. So, escaping danger is not always wrong. It's good and right, but there are times when we should not flee. So what is David getting at in Psalm 11? David speaks back to his advisors in this case. And he says it quite forcefully. How can you say to me, verse 1, Flee to the mountain. We may not know all the particulars that go into this, but we do know that David's advisors were not trusting in the Lord as David was. There is a distinction, and David wants them to know it. It's as if David is saying, you're not trusting in the Lord. Perhaps those who told him to flee were his allies. Perhaps they were his enemies. We're not told. Either way, they're not trusting and the Lord, and David says it out loud. I trust in the Lord. How can you say to me, flee to the mountain? And, we, and this is noteworthy because there are times, indeed, much of 1 Samuel, David is running, running for his life. And here he says, not going to flee. So with the rest of our time, we see in this psalm, though we don't know the specific location of it, within the life story of David, we do know that in this psalm that David encourages us, he exhorts us to put our hope, our trust, our faith in God. And so it's useful to us for that reason. So with the rest of our time, here are four encouragements from Psalm 11 to put your hope in God alone. Four encouragements to put your hope in God alone. The first is this, trust in the Lord because the wicked pursue the righteous. Trust in the Lord because the wicked pursue the righteous. We see this in verse 2. I think this is David speaking back to his advisors. They say, flee. And David says, for look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. The wicked are pursuing David. David is not on the hunt for them. It is the other way around. They are aggressive. They are on the offensive. 
and knows. They even shoot secretly. Perhaps at night they shoot. Perhaps even in the dark. There's no place to hide for David. And though, though they are pursuing him, though he could flee, David recognizes, even if I flee, they might be there. This is especially the case with spiritual enemies. No matter where you hide, this might sound scary, no matter where you hide, your enemies can find you out. And this is an appeal to trust in the Lord. The devil prowls around like a lion. He is pursuing you, you could say, Christian, even in the dark. He's on the hunt for you. It's not the other way around, is it? You're not hunting for the devil. The devil is aggressive. He's on the offensive. And even in the dark, he pursues. He pursues even into the secret places. And David knows this. He says they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. So even if David flees to the mountain, even there, he's not completely safe. And that's worth pondering. Where on this side can you go to escape danger? David recognizes Eventually, he's at the mercy of God. My family and I recently moved, and we recently moved into a safer part of town. About three nights in, I'm peeking out the window. There's probably within 15 minutes, seven cop cars, just a house down. That's a nice little reminder, wasn't it? I hope my mom doesn't listen to this one. I haven't told her this yet. But on this side of heaven, where can we go to escape danger? No matter where we go, we are at the mercy of God. We may flee, but if we want ultimate protection, we must rely on God. This is what Solomon makes clear too. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You can live in the nicest neighborhood. You can have the nicest security system. Your country can stay away from war. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So it's as if David is saying in this psalm, who else are you going to trust in? Who? Second reason. Trust in the Lord because the foundations may fall. Trust in the Lord because the foundations may fall. This is verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, foundations need some clarification here. This, this is from a commentator, Van Gimmeren. The foundations appear to be a metaphor for the order of society. We could say it's the established institutions, the social and civil order of the community. So when it says the foundations may fall, he's speaking about the foundations of the society. And look at his response. The foundations might fall. What can the righteous do? So again, David is putting his ultimate hope in the Lord. And we don't know exactly what's going on. We can speculate, and that I will do. First Samuel 1 Samuel chapter 22, there's a lot of chaos in the life and times of 
David. And one of those times, I've, I've seen someone speculate that maybe he's referring to this incident. But this at least will paint the picture. Perhaps David is speaking about when he's fleeing from his own family. They're trying to take his life. And David's saying, the foundations might fall. Who are you going to trust in? Or it could be this incident. When Saul murders the priests of God. Saul was upset with these priests because they were siding with David. And the king said to them, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because of their hand is also with David. Because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. And the servants, they don't lift their hand against the priests. And this is when Doeg is told by the king, you turn and kill the priests. And so Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. So the priests are killed. And we could say that at this time, 85 priests, the foundations of Israel, Israel, they're, they're rocky, they're falling apart. Perhaps David's considering this particular incident. He's on the run again and again and again. And so Christian, what shall we do when our society wants to rearrange the foundations of our culture? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it does. What do we do when people want to literally change the definition of marriage to be something other than one man? One woman. What do we do when our society seems out of control and they want to say that a boy is a girl and a girl is a boy? What do we do when they're telling that to children? What do we do when they're manipulating the very foundations of society? They're not just toying with the structures of our government. And of our economy, they're toying with these basic building blocks, gender and marriage. And what do we do when they're trying to destroy the foundations of our culture? What does David do? This is noteworthy. David says, what can the righteous do? He asks a question. When they're... When they're destroying the foundations of culture, David literally just says, rhetorically, what can the righteous do? It's rhetorical. In some cases, there's nothing we can do to stop this downward slide. Ultimately, though, what does David do? Does he just sit back and wait? No, no, he doesn't. He goes and he fights. He trusts the Lord, ultimately. The answer, I think, is in the next verse. What does David do when he sees the foundations of the culture shaking and falling around him? He looks up. It's the next verse, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. Oh, he looks up. The foundations are shaky, they're falling down, but the Lord is in his holy temple. 
That's where we look. That's where we look. The Lord's throne is in heaven. That's where we look. That's where our hope comes from. God is in control. This, then, is our third reason to trust in the Lord. Thirdly, put your trust in the Lord because he is on his throne. Put your trust in the Lord because he is on his throne. He's in charge. And even in our individual lives, the scenarios that we find ourselves within, we may think, we may wonder why the Lord is putting us in difficult circumstances. But Romans 8.28 really lies is that foundation, doesn't it? Romans 8.28. Turn there again. I lost my spot. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. No matter what situation we may find ourselves in, the Lord is on his throne. We spoke about this last week. Jesus is ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. His enemies will be his footstool. And it's finished, isn't it? Christ is king. And it's finished. The Lord molds us into Christ's likeness. Even in the most dire of situations. We hear gunshots outside your house. Maybe that's a time to press into the Lord. Maybe that's a time to set up. Nice your neighborhood, still must trust in the Lord. And you recite that psalm to yourself. And you don't tell your mom. <laughs> Fourthly, trust in the Lord because the wicked perish. Trust in the Lord because the wicked perish. It may not always look like this. It may look, perhaps even for long stretches of time, that the wicked will indeed prosper. But one day, they will perish. One day, they will perish. There's all kinds of scriptures that describe the demise of the wicked. We know that the Lord rewards the righteous. We know that he punishes the wicked. The Lord loves the just, will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. And that's, there's some consolation in, in that, isn't it? That there's going to be a complete destruction. It's not that the wicked will be ah, sort of slapped on the wrist. So many judges nowadays are just letting these criminals off the hook with the light sentence. God's not going to do that. He is going to lay down the law. They will be completely punished. Psalm 37 actually says they will be completely destroyed and their offspring will perish. It's like, well, if they're destroyed, well, maybe they can keep living through their offspring. But the Bible says even their offspring will perish. And I think that, of course, God can save ungodly offspring. But I think the, the, I think the thrust of that passage is just to say they are not going to keep going on and on and on and on. I will put an end to the evil. So, in closing, sometimes we should flee to the mountains. Other times we should stay put. In this case, David said, 
My ultimate trust is in the Lord. If I flee to the mountains, even there I'm not safe. His advisors are not trusting in the Lord. They're giving him advice. It's no good. We must care ultimately about the heavenly verdict more than the earthly verdict. Because the heavenly verdict is the ultimate vindication. And that is, the Lord will vindicate the righteous. It is the ultimate reward. It's the permanent resting place for the faithful. We're walking through 1 Peter in the mornings. And it's about this pilgrimage, isn't it? You and I, Christians around the world, we're just passing through. We are pilgrims on earth. And going back to the Apostle Paul, his words to Timothy have this in mind. Paul knew he was a pilgrim. He knew that though he was about to die, that he was going to the Lord. Listen to this from 2 Timothy. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul knows he's about to die. But he presses forward, looking to Christ who is to come. If you're in here this morning and you don't yet love what I just said, if you don't love Christ's appearing, speak to me afterwards. Because Christ, he will return and he will appear in the sky. And you can either fear this coming or you can rejoice with this coming. And if you want to rejoice, you must accept him as Lord and as Savior and as God. For when you do that, when you bow yourself before him, when you see him again, he will be for you. For he died for all those who take refuge in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this psalm and we thank you for the model of David. His ultimate trust was in you and I pray that for all those in here that will have faith, trust, hope in you above all. There are many things that we can put our trust in, but none of them are everlasting. None of them are sure. May Christ be our refuge forever. We pray in his name. Amen. You can stand now and respond once again in song.